This is Tennis Quick Tips, episode 109. Hey, this is Kim from TennisFixation.com. I'm your host for the Tennis Quick Tips podcast. With every episode, Tennis Quick Tips brings you a quick and easy tip to improve your tennis game and to make sure you're having fun every time you step on court. This week, I'm answering a listener question. I received this question from Lorna. And I'm going to take sort of a roundabout way to answer it because I'm going to also address an issue that comes up quite a bit. I do get asked about it. In fact, I was at drills today and it came up. So let's talk about verbal hindrances. First, I'll start with Lorna's question. She says, hi, Kim. I love listening to your topics every week. And so I have a question for you. What do you have to say about doubles partners calling or saying mine, yours, and so on? Sometimes when my partner calls the ball as theirs, I am more close to it than they are. What is your take on that? Thanks, Lorna. While Lorna's question is not a rules question per se, I do love talking about the rules, and her question does raise a rules issue that other people have asked me about, and that often does come up in matches. So let's talk first about hindrances, specifically verbal hindrances. And by talking about this rules issue, we will get to an answer to Lorna's question. So what do the tennis rules have to say about verbal hindrances? And before I do that, I probably ought to say, I assume everybody knows what a verbal hindrance is, but maybe not. A verbal hindrance is when your opponent says something, anything, they might say it out loud, loudly, I should say, or they might not say it that loud, but they say something during a point that hinders you in playing that point. They hinder you through their talking. That's a verbal hindrance. So let's first look what the rule on hindrances is. And you can find that in rule 26 of the ITF rules of tennis. And that rule states, quote, if a player is hindered in playing the point by a deliberate act of the opponents, the player shall win the point. However, the point shall be replayed if a player is hindered in playing the point by either an unintentional act of the opponents or something outside the player's own control, not including a permanent fixture, end of quote. And you can find further explanation of this if you look to the USTA comments to this rule, and those comments specifically comment 26.1, explain the difference between a deliberate and an unintentional act. The comment states, quote, deliberate means a player did what the player intended to do, even if the result was unintended. An example is a player 
who hits a short lob in doubles and loudly shouts back just before an opponent hits the overhead. See the code section 34. Unintentional refers to an act over which a player has no control, such as a hat blowing off or a scream during a wasp sting. End of quote. So deliberate means you intended to do what you did, meaning you intended to shout out, but it doesn't mean that you intended to hinder your opponent. It's just that your act is deliberate and intentional. Well, the good news is that's not the end of the story on verbal hindrances. The code provides even more help and clarification. Section 33 of the code tells us that, quote, a player who claims a hindrance must stop play as soon as possible, end of quote. And section 34 on talking when a ball is in play further explains, quote, a singles player should not talk during points. Talking between doubles partners when the ball is moving toward them is allowed. Doubles partners should not talk when the ball is moving toward their opponent's court. When talking interferes with an opponent's ability to play a ball, it is a hindrance. For example, if a doubles player hits a weak lob and yells, get back, and the yell distracts an opponent who is about to hit the ball, then the opponent may claim the point based on a deliberate hindrance. If the opponent chooses to play the lob and misses it, the opponent loses the point because the opponent did not make a timely claim of hindrance. Okay, enough quoting the rules. Let's talk about applying them in a match and get to Lorna's question. So we all know the importance of communicating with your doubles partner both on and off court. In fact, you can hear a whole podcast episode on this if you check out episode 81 of Tennis Quick Tips, How to Communicate in Doubles Tennis. And as we talked about in that episode, and as I'm sure you know if you've been playing doubles for any length of time at all, it is not only inevitable that you will talk to your partner on court during a match, while points are being played, it is strongly encouraged because that's one of the best ways, if not the only way sometimes, that you and your partner can tell each other what you're doing and coordinate your movements and your court coverage. However, as the rules and code sections I quoted show, you have to be careful about when you talk to your partner. Specifically, you should avoid talking after you've hit the ball and it is traveling in the direction of your opponents because that might hinder your opponents. And if you cause a hindrance, you lose the point. Simple as that. I think the example given in code section 34 is a perfect example of this because I'll bet most of us have been in that exact situation. Your partner's up at the net, you're back, you hit a short lob that you know your opponent is going to slam back as an overhead. You want to warn your partner if only to prevent him or her from getting creamed by that overhead. The danger is, unfortunately, if you call something out to your partner while the ball is traveling towards the opposing team, like it's short or back up or watch out, you may hinder your opponents 
and lose the point. But the catch is your opponent must stop play as soon as he or she is hindered. Basically, as soon as you call out to your partner. So if your opponent chooses to hit that short lob, he or she is not hindered. And if your opponent hits that short lob and misses, well, then he or she has just lost the point and cannot try to claim a hindrance after hitting the ball. Your opponent does not get two chances to try and win that point. The important thing to remember, the thing that people constantly get confused about or just get wrong, is that the hindrance occurs only when the ball is moving toward your opponent's. It doesn't matter what side of the net the ball is on. If the ball is traveling towards you, but is still on your opponent's side of the court, you can be hindered by your opponent saying or shouting something, even though the ball has not yet crossed the net to your side of the court. So let's go back to the example of the short lob to see how this happens. If you hit a short lob and say, watch out to warn your partner, who knows how your opponent might interpret that. They may think there's something they need to watch out for, like a ball rolling in from another court. They may look around to see just what is happening. And that could happen even though when you called out, the ball had not yet crossed the net to your opponent's side of the court. But your shout is distracting and could easily hinder your opponent in playing out the point. The bottom line, be careful about when you call out to your partner. And if your partner is about to get creamed because the lob you just hit is way too short, well, you may lose the point by warning your partner. Although that might be a reasonable price to pay to stay in the good graces of your partner. But just be aware, shouting out like that could be a hindrance. Now, let me say one more important thing about verbal hindrances. The reality is they're not called very often, especially in the type of social or recreational tennis that I think most of us are playing. In fact, if you call this a verbal hindrance without warning your opponents the first time it happens, you may be perceived as a less than nice player or something more, some name that I'm not going to use here to keep my G rating on this podcast. Anyway, if you have an opponent who is verbally hindering you, I think it is a good idea to first give them a warning about it. Let them know what they're doing and why it is hindrance. And you may have to pull out your rule book on this, and then if it happens again, you call the hindrance and take the point. So now let's get back to Lorna's question. How do you deal with calls between you and your partner, especially if your partner calls a ball that you are closer to or that you think you've got a better chance at? Well, here's what I think. First, when communicating on court with your partner, be very careful about committing a verbal hindrance, as we just talked about. Second, my answer to the specific question is, It all depends, and here's what I mean. When I play doubles with someone for the very first time, I usually tell them right up front that I like to talk on court a lot, and I hope that it doesn't bother them. I'll say that. And that they should let me know if it does bother them, 
because I want my partner to know that I'm going to communicate with them and I hope they'll do the same with me. Then during the match, at least to start out, any ball they call, no matter what I think as far as whether I can hit that ball better than my partner, I'll let my partner have it. I don't want there to be any confusion or ill will on court as to who is taking what ball. Now, if it happens that I think my partner is willing, I'll let them know that they are free to take any ball they think they have a better shot at, whether I've called it or not. I try to reassure them that as long as they're going for the ball and, frankly, trying to be aggressive, I'll support them and they're not going to make me mad by taking a ball that I have called. Now, this is really an issue of communication between partners understanding between partners, and support between partners. If I'm playing with a completely new partner and I'm not sure how we're going to play together, initially, I'm going to let her take care of any ball she calls, even if I think I have a better shot at it. But once things get going, I may change that, especially if I see that my partner has no problem with me stepping in to take a ball that she's called because I get the feeling that she has confidence in me. And that may not come right away. It might take a little time in the course of a match to develop. Now, that's how I would play it. It sounds complicated, but it usually quickly gets worked out depending on who I'm playing with. But just know, not everyone thinks the way I do. Some people think that when one partner calls the ball, that partner is the one who's going to take the ball no matter what. Other people will tell you that whoever has the better play on the ball should take the shot, no matter who has called it. I take more of sort of a middle ground between those two positions, trying to figure out what works best with the partner I'm playing with. Ultimately, I would love to step in and take every ball I can, especially if I think I can hit a better shot than my partner. But I'm well aware that that particular course of action doesn't work with every single partner I have to play with. So like I said, who should take the ball, in my opinion, may depend on who my partner is. So Lorna, my answer is first, definitely communicate with your partner by calling the ball. In fact, call as many balls as you can. I don't think that's ever a negative thing. There may be some people it bothers, but it doesn't bother me. I think it's a good thing. Second, be careful not to commit a verbal hindrance when you're doing that. That is very important. You don't want to lose a point just on something like a verbal hindrance. And third, as to whether you need to strictly follow the protocol of the person who calls the ball, hits the ball, that often depends on the relationship you have with your partner. And you definitely don't want to ruin that relationship. So again, It kind of depends on what works best in your partnership. I hope that answers your question, Lorna. Thanks so much for sending it in. I really appreciate it. And I encourage all of my Tennis Quick Tips listeners to submit their own tennis questions or suggestions about what you'd like to hear on Tennis Quick Tips. And you can do that by leaving a comment in the show notes for this episode. You can find those over at tennisfixation.com slash quicktips109. 
and I will have the show notes and I'll have links to some uh, past podcast episodes, including that one I mentioned on communicating with doubles partners, what types of things you should be communicating about and exactly how to do it. And I just want to mention, if you would like to get weekly tennis tips to your email inbox, as well as my free ebook, 10 Quick Fixes to Improve Your Serve, No Lessons Required, head over to tennisfixation.com slash free serve book. That's all one word. And there's also, if you go over to the website, there's a link in the sidebar and you can get on my email list and you can also get a PDF download instantly of my ebook. And that has some really good tips, my favorite tips for improving your serve. And don't worry, there are more episodes coming in my Simple Serve Tips series, so stay tuned for those too. Hope you're getting out on the courts, hope you're playing a lot of tennis, and as always, happy tennis.